welcome to the Collective West podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting young people in Melbourne's West. My name is Julia. And I'm Michael. Our guest on the podcast this week was Zach Lewis. Zach Lewis recently commenced as the CEO at West Enchanters, an organization dedicated to assisting young people in Melbourne's West realize their potential by providing scholarships, opportunity programs, and ongoing support. Zach joined West Enchanters after more than 12 years working across the non-for-profit and government sectors. He is passionate about tackling social challenges and loves working in the non-for-profit sector where people, passion, and creativity collide to create better outcomes for the community. I know. What does that say? You know, it's it's scary, isn't it? It's you. (laughs) 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 The current government doesn't want us to meet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's lovely. It's lovely for you guys to invite me on. I I do appreciate it. And and Michael, I know you. So, how are you connected with Western Chances? Because I think there's some confusion. I think Terry thinks you're one of our recipients, which uh, is not the case. Numerous times, um, despite me saying that I'm not a recipient. So this could take the length of the podcast. How long we got here? Um, (laughs) No, so I did. um, This is way back in 2016. So in my third year of university, I wanted to be a lawyer still. So I was doing a Bachelor of Arts at Melbourne and I wanted to do the JD after. And then I started to mm-hmm. volunteer with an organization called Chase, which is Community Health Advancement and Student Engagement, which, which works with a lot of the same schools that Western Chances does. So VUSC, Copperfield College, St. Albans Secondary College, et cetera, et cetera. In my third year, you also have to do an internship. And initially, I was going to do it at a law firm. God, I feel like I'm, you're interviewing me now. Initially, I was going to do it at a, at a law firm. But after starting to volunteer, I wanted to actually dive into this education space. So I saw Western Chances, saw that they were in the West, and I said, this is fantastic. This is like the perfect fit and very similar schools that we work with. And then I started, I, I emailed, I think it was Jen at the time. So this is the predecessor to Fizz. And Jen just went on maternity leave and Fizz just took over. So there was oh a point where they, weren't, they didn't want to have an intern on because there was, this, there was too, much sort of, too much going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a, uh, like an interview slash meeting with with your predecessor, Real, and uh, and then also Fizz, and then they accepted me, and then the rest is history. And then that's how I met Julia. I think a couple of weeks later, into my internship, I I met Julia. And you guys knew each other independently. No, no, no. through the love of Western Chances, and I think at the there time it was it was still pretty early days for JT. So I had a desk at the hospital and I used to operate out of the Western Chances office, by the way, (laughs) and um, Michael would come in and do his thing and that's where we, yeah, really connected and always wanted to kind of do something together, isn't it, Michael, until last year? Yeah, that was the thinking behind Collective West is that ever since we met in 2016, our worlds were close to each other but not, not overlapping in any way. And I've obviously been a huge fan of Julia and what she's done with her own business and with entrepreneurship. And I thought, we need to do something together. And I just couldn't think of anything to do. And then obviously, the silver lining with COVID is that it, it raised this opportunity to, to start something online, to do something digitally, but also to have the opportunity to actually create an impact. Because as we know, Melbourne's West was the hardest hit by, by COVID. So Brimbank being number two, which was our local government area, and then Wyndham being number one. That was kind of the backstory to how we met and how all this came together. But 
yeah, Western chances really is the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. Yeah. And it's obviously something that we're all both very passionate about. And of course, Zach, as the new CEO of Western Chances, um, I guess not so much new anymore, isn't it? It's been past six months now. I feel like you've been in here um, and you've, you've learnt the ropes. But how are you going? Like, how has it been? Well, it's, I'm definitely not new because I think I've been there for like three lockdowns now. So it feels like a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's the new measure of time, I feel like. You know, I was at this job for six lockdowns. Um, no, loving it, loving it, getting to know the place, understanding how it all works. You know, I think it's, you know, Western Chances is an organisation that, as you guys would know, is built on partnerships and built on, you know, built working with the community. So it's taken me a little while to kind of understand who all our partners are and, and how we work and, and how it all happens. But, yeah, just thrilled to be part of it, to be honest. Speaking to your time at Western Chances being more than more than six months, but I think less than 12 months, I guess you talked about partnerships and the way Western Chances operates, which is a little bit different to other not-for-profits that I've also seen. I also work for a not-for-profit now. I guess what what are some things that you've learned as the CEO? Just that I think, um, you know, and this is one of the benefits of the not-for-profit industry more broadly, but I think um, is very relevant to Western Chances, is that you can ask for help. Um, so if you if you have challenges, people want to help you meet them. Um, and I think that's the beauty of partnerships because – we're very lucky at Western Chances with the partners that we have and, and some of our supporters. And where we're, where we're, you know, trying to tackle a challenge, you can pick up the phone and talk to them about that. And one, either pick their brain about how they go about it or whether they have expertise that might help or whether they know someone in their network that might help and people are willing to do that or, you know, whether they can assist um, more directly. So, you know, that's, that's probably something that, you know, I've learned in this role is that I've always tried to tackle problems myself and try and come up with a solution and I feel like the more you actually talk to people and you bounce ideas off them you end up with like a much better outcome yeah I'm learning that very quickly in this role for sure and you've gone through not only a challenging time at Western Chances obviously taking over uh, during the pandemic and going through a series of, of lockdowns but also at Food Bank you would have been there during the the, the really devastating bushfires that happened at the start of 2020. I guess, how do you adapt with those types of things just being thrown your way that are unprecedented, number one, and sort of never been through? How do you adapt? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're sort of, I think we're all getting so used to uncertainty now. Like you think back t- two years, you could map things out, you could plan well ahead. Nowadays, you don't get that time to plan. Um, you know, for example, we, you know, Western Chances, we have a good business forum that we, you know, deliver every year. It's a great um, networking forum and a fundraising event for us. That was due to occur in three weeks, I think. We've had to reschedule that, work out how we're going to deliver that, understand whether our partners will still want to be involved and with very little notice. So I think as one example, uncertainty is the word of the last 18 months, I think. And, you know, experience from Food Bank and coming to Western Chances is that, you really need strong leadership in in that environment. And um, when I was at Food Bank, we were very lucky. We had a, a um, CEO who was a very strong leader. And I think Bushfires in particular was an example of his leadership where he, he actually um, did something that we'd never done in our history at Food Bank. He opened the warehouse to public donations and we invited Melbourne to come in to, you know, drop food off and assist in that way for bushfire, the bushfire-affected communities in eastern Victoria. And to be honest, I've never seen such an overwhelming outpouring of community 
supported all my life. So it was actually just a privilege to be involved in that. We had thousands of people driving through their cars um, each day to drop food off. Like it was obviously incredibly hectic, but it was almost like, you know, it was just an avenue for people to show their support for those communities and and that we were almost just um, facilitators of that support, allowing them to do that. And it was, yeah, I found it, you know, a very, very moving experience, to be honest, very lucky to be a part of it. So, um, but I think something that struck me out of that was that you just need, you know, you need leaders that are willing to, you know, innovate and be, um, you know, be creative because you don't have the time to plan like you used to and you need to sort of be thinking on your feet. So um, that's probably one take home that I've, I've sort of got out of that. I, th- I think dealing with uncertainty with, with food bank and then Western chances, what are some of the skills or mindsets you've had to develop in order to constantly be confronting uncertainty, whether it is, a, you know, a, a devastating bushfire or a pandemic? I think you've got to be willing to challenge your own assumptions about how you do things. So, you know, you might have a really set way of doing things that has, and for a reason, you, you've developed that process or protocol or, you know, means of doing something for a reason and it's worked and you need to constantly revisit those assumptions because they might not be relevant anymore. So I think that that is a challenge and that can be me naturally. I'm probably um, a little bit more of a rigid person and, you know, I like um, my structure and like and pl- planning things out. So that can actually be a real challenge for me. It's something that I've, I've sort of struggled with, but you just have to be flexible and adapt. And I think you've got to, I think a big part of that is trusting people. Um, you know, you've got to be able to trust people where they're also coming up with different ideas or looking at different ways of doing things. You've got to trust that, you know, you know, we can, we can pull this together. So it's, it's, you know, I find it very uncomfortable, to be honest. I mean, someone like you, Julia, who works in events, that's what you do for a living. You, you know, you're, you're running on your feet and you're um, changing as you go. So um, I think it's a valuable skill to learn that flexibility and, and ability to kind of, you know, um, trust and be adaptable. Absolutely. I just wanted to, I guess, elaborate on that point even further with you, Zach. What are some of your advice, especially starting a new role in a leadership role, during the pandemic, really, because I think for the first couple of months, you didn't really get a chance to see the team in person. And then obviously, you know, um, having to learn how the team behaves, what are their personality likes, learning operations and things like that. Do you have any tips for people who are starting a new job during this tough time? Yeah, I think it's it's a good question because I think it's really easy to focus on what you can't do. I can't catch up with the team. I can't see them in person. How am I going to get to know them? You know, how am I going to meet our partners? We're in lockdown. It's so easy to focus on everything you can't do. And I think once you start doing that, you just completely stop making progress. So I think, you know, one thing that I guess I, you know, coming into this role, I was very conscious of is you've just got to start somewhere and focus on the things that you can do. Um, So if it's meeting your team via Zoom, that's fine. Look at ways that you can engage with them or, you know, even if you have to pick up the phone and just talk to them outside of work. Look at ways that you can, you know, meet your partners um, and talk to your partners that doesn't, you know, you might not get that opportunity for face-to-face, but there's other ways to build connection because they're probably feeling just as uncertain as you are um, about things. So, yeah, really just focusing on, well, these are the things I can do. I can't sort of control what I can't do. Uh, And you make the most of those things you can do. And I think probably... Another piece is rejigging. You might have a pretty clear view of the things that you want to do. For example, you know, I start this new job. I want to get out and meet our major partners. I want to get out and meet our scholarship recipients and talk to them and understand the value that um, we're providing them or what we can do better. Um, if you can't do that, it doesn't mean you, you can't do it 
forever, postpone that and put that out later and bring forward some other things that you're planning to um, while you've got that time. So um, I think it's just, yeah, really focusing on the things that you can do and how you can kind of uh, tweak the other bits. Yeah, absolutely. And I do remember because I was quite excited at the fact that you were starting and I was like, I want to meet him. And then I got a phone call from you, (laughs) Um, which I thought was really nice. And I think it kind of, again, allowed me to connect with you straight away early on, understanding that we were obviously under lockdown circumstances. So I think that's just generally a good mindset tip from you is to really focus on what you can do with your current job and how you can make those connections whilst we're in this uncertain kind of state. But I'm also curious... Uh, and I know I have asked you this in the past, but coming from Food Bank, why Western Chances? Yeah, it's um, I guess I guess your your interests evolve over time. You know, I started I started out in science. I was a scientist by trade. I I, I undertook a marine biology degree and worked you know in fisheries research. So um, a fair way different to where I am now. And I think. I think, you know, I've always wanted to kind of align my work with the things that I feel are important and that align with my values and that I feel that I've got something to offer and, and you know, those have changed over time. And um, I think, you know, going from somewhere like Food Bank, which was probably my first role, really, you know, responding to challenge, social challenges in the community and disadvantage in the community, it was quite shocking to me working there actually that um, in a country like ours that we have such prevalent food insecurity issues I was probably initially shocked by. And I took so much value out of, you know, programs that we developed and and that was getting food into the community and fresh and healthy food into the community. I took a lot of um, satisfaction out of that tangible impact. And so that was sort of really got me thinking about, well, you know, what is it that I want to do? I obviously want work that's challenging and that I find mentally stimulating and that I feel I can add value to. But I want that to be something that I feel really provides impact to others. And um, I was very lucky in my own self having access to really great education and and opportunity to pursue the things that I wanted to pursue. And so I think when I saw the opportunity at Western Chances, it really resonated in me that I would love to kind of, you know, almost feed that back and, and, and create opportunities for others that might not necessarily, you know, have access to them, although our recipients are brilliant and I'm sure that, you know, they, they can overcome many challenges. Um, so that was really that was really sort of how I, I shifted. I think think when you when you start thinking about education, you know, it really does provide people with a transformative opportunity to sort of change the outcomes of their life, both from a health point of view and from an economic point of view, right across their their, their lifespan. So when you're starting to think, oh God, how can I how can I make a difference? Um, somewhere like Western Chances gives you that opportunity to to really really make a tangible impact. Yeah, fantastic. I couldn't agree more, especially as a recipient and an alum uh, myself of the amazing program and the work that Western Chances provides. But I guess I'm also curious, and I'm sure Michael is and many others as well, as the new CEO that's been around for six months, what are your plans, if you can share any, with where you see Western Chances in the you know coming years? Yeah, well, I think we've got a really great, strong program and I think the core of who we are is is scholarships and then building opportunities for recipients of those scholarships that kind of um, help them along their pathway. So we're trying to grow that program over the next three to five years. We current, uh, Last year in 2020, we gave out 772 scholarships of an average value of just under $1,000. So we want to increase that to, you know, 1,000 scholarships by 2025. Um, so increase the program by a third in terms of size. 
Uh, and then in the future, it'd be starting. It'd be lovely to start to think. Well, make sure we're working with all the schools that we can across the West, um, so that no kids are, are missing out on the opportunity to essentially get access to a Western Chances scholarship. So we want to make sure we've increased our, our partnerships with schools. And then we also want to start to really engage our fantastic alumni event community, like your good self, JT, uh, where we can, you know, really like kind of distill some of your experience uh, and provide that back to. Um, recipients that are coming through because I think, you know, you have that lived experience, you understand um, maybe some of the challenges that they're going through. So we want to be able to kind of connect our alumni and our recipients a lot more going forward through, you know, mentoring and other opportunities. So we're starting to look at how we do that. Amazing. Thank you, Zach. Hello, Zach again. I wanted to go back <laughs> to, uh, you talked about the shift that you made when you started in marine biology. Was it research or education? Research. Research. So you're in marine biology, um, marine biology research, and then now you're obviously the CEO of Western Chances. Could you talk us through how that shift slowly occurred? Was this a, a big shift or a incremental shift? So you're saying you don't see the link between abalone fisheries and um, scholarships? A, a little bit. I see <laughs> a little bit of it, but I think I need a bit more detail there. Um, yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I don't quite know how it's all um, ended up that way. But I think when you look at my um, working history, I think it's been quite varied. And that's been deliberate. I've liked taking on different challenges. So, you know, I studied, um, you know, maths and science at school and loved loved science in particular. And um, I had a great affinity with the outdoors, used to do a lot of bushwalking and outdoor activities. So loved being outside and always wanted to work outside, be out, didn't want to be in an office. I wanted to be, you know, outside somewhere. So I kind of got into science and marine biology for that, you know, one, you know, got to be engaged in some research and understand things and get to know the, the natural world, but also to be outside and to be, you know, having an adventure while I work. So, you know, did a, a number of years across a few roles in research and loved it. Great experience. But then I think, you know, as I was sort of getting older, you know, out of your early 20s into your mid-20s, you start to become much more aware of the world, I think, and you start to get really interested in particular things. And for me, that was really to do with social justice, I guess, and, and understanding probably the social determinants that influence people's life trajectories. And so I kind of got out of um, research and, and working for government and wanted to be in the not-for-profit space. But really, that was a hard transition to make. I kind of tried to make that transition by moving from the government into an environmental-based not-for-profit which was actually a fundraising role. I've never done fundraising before, so it's quite the shock to the system. Um, but once I was in the not-for-profit um, sector, I felt like then I could sort of generate some experience and start to shift into the, you know, the areas of work that I, I wanted to be in. So, you know, through that process, I got to work in sort of government research and policy or management and policy, you know, fundraising in a, a fantastic national um, environmental conservation uh, group, then worked with Food Bank and did some really great program delivery on the ground that had some fantastic tangible outcomes for the community and then, you know, was able to shift into a, a leadership role here with Western Chances. So it sort of seems very disparate, but I, I actually think that having a grounding in science has massively helped me through my career because, you know, generally have a good understanding of statistics and numbers and, and you know, have a attention to detail, so, which, was, which I learned through that course. So, um, yeah, it sort of seems very meandering, but it did kind of have a, kind of have a, a reason. I've got two follow-up questions. One is serious. One is not so serious. This is the not so serious one. Can you tell us some interesting marine biology facts? Oh, have a look if you like. Um, 
Oh, God, you put me on the spot. It's been some time. I'm just trying to think. I used to have heaps of these for kids. Yeah, um, I was thinking you are just going to drop some when you are talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think, you know, how many how many um, stomachs do you have? Pardon? Into something I'm really interested in. Do you know any facts on the deep sea? Like the really yeah. deep sea? I don't. I don't know, unfortunately. No. Michael, involved. this is not going down well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was clearly very good at marine biology, obviously, yeah. <laughs> so I did interrupt. You're giving you you were giving a fact about some stomachs. Well, I think I was. I think you know this may be true or not. So you know, take that take take it on notice. But um, you know, do you know how many stomachs an octopus has? Three. I feel like it's more than ten. I think it's about seven. Wow, seven stomachs. <laughs> I love that you said I think as well. Yeah. <laughs> now I need to Google it. Yeah. I should have opened Google with another window. Yeah. Yes. Where do even be in an octopus? But don't they have multiple hearts as well? Hold on wow, I really, I really don't know. This is becoming a really great podcast. Whoever <laughs> we've just said. I may, have got, I may have got that confused. Are you Googling it? Yeah. I'm leaving all of this in. I'm not going to edit any of this out. Anyway, by the end of this podcast, I'll give you an actually true um, marine biology fact. Yeah, great. And this is, I think you kind of answered it before, but the, the more serious question I had is you spent the majority of your career either in, in government or the non-for-profit sector. Even your roles in government seem to have like social impact lens to them. Was that always a space you wanted to be in? So even when you were in marine biology, was social impact always like, I think I want to go beyond research and actually impact people? I think yes. Um, not specific social impact, but I think I always wanted to have a, make a positive difference in my work or at least be part of my work being part of a broader um, impact. Um, and initially that was in the environmental sector, protecting environmental resources. But um, I think over time I learned that I'd rather be creating an impact for, for other people and for the community and, and people that need help. So that was a very broad interest and I think it's not only the impact but the type of work, the two of those things together I think are, are driving my interest. So, you know, the opportunity to have a leadership role at Western Chances and to be able to um, grow the organisation and grow our scholarship program, you know, is hugely exciting for me. It's it's a, a real challenge and I, I find that really exciting but the plus side is you get to have this great, great impact socially. So, um, so I guess, you know, answer, answering your question... I probably haven't thought that specifically about it, more looking at the education space and wanting to be a part of that. And the drive to have a positive impact, where does that come from? It's a good question. I mean, I think, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but when you think about working every day, I'm sure you guys are the same. You don't want to be somewhere where you're not interested and that you're just eking out the hours. I've always, I think, um, you know, I work with someone at Food Bank and they said, if you're not all in, what's the point? And I think that very much resonated with me from a work point of view. You know, I don't think I could throw myself all into something that I'm just not interested in. So, you know, I guess that where you can find a role that aligns with your interests and passions and you find sort of stimulating and, and um, enjoy the, the work that you're contributing, what a great combination that is because you're going to do great things because you're just going to throw yourself into it and give it, give it your all. I love that. And that's obviously something that has drawn me to the sector as well is one is the, the purpose that it gives. One is the second is the people. And then thirdly is the alignment to sort of my natural passion. So the, the triple P's or the triple threat, I like to call it. 
the shadow side of all of that, of being all in, as you said, with your work is the risk of emotional burnout or taking too many things on that you think is part of your responsibility, but ultimately is not. I guess, how do you balance that shadow and the light side? Because it's obviously fantastic to have passion. Sometimes when you have too much and people know that they can put too much on you, that leads to a bit of stress and then unfortunately a bit of emotional burnout. You know, particularly in the current environment, environment, that would be very common. And certainly, you know, I've experienced that myself in the last, you know, t- two years. And taking take, taking a step back to my work at Food Bank, you know, that was a the last twelve months I was at Food Bank was a really full on year. I mean, we had the bushfires to start two thousand and twenty, which was a significant um, event. And then, you know, two months later, a global pandemic was declared and. Uh, Melbourne goes into, well, Australia goes into its first lockdown and then that lockdown ends in a month and then it starts again for three or four months over through the middle of the year. And that work, not only did it affect me personally and most people personally, but from a work point of view, we had a huge increase in demand for our services, um, huge diminishment of our food supply. Um, We had um, new programs. We had uh, all these different changes to what we were doing so that were beyond business as usual. And that was really challenging, you know, you, exactly what you were talking about, Michael. You, t- you take that on and you want to do the best you can and you, and particularly where you're working in a field where it ha- the outcome from your work is such a tangible impact for someone, you feel like, if God, if I don't get that done, then does that mean that people aren't eating dinner that night because they're yeah, not wow. receiving food um, from Food Bank? And I'm sure a lot of people at that organisation felt the same. So it is easy to take it on and sometimes I think you just you need a mental break particularly last year it was so hard to get wasn't it because you couldn't go away for most of the year and couldn't get that space um, and I'm, you know in talking to my partner Adrian who is a, a researcher uh, you know she's the same where they they work and are constantly sort of always on always working it's so hard to get that break so I think you know to kind of avoid that I think you've got to be really kind to yourself um, and you've got to kind of recognize when if you're trying to do everything you just you end up doing nothing um, so you've kind of got to pick and choose your battles a little bit and 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 focus on um, the pieces that you can you can um, control and, and contribute to otherwise you just you, you do end up burning out so yeah definitely you've got to take mental breaks got to be kind to yourself and and you know don't try and do everything. Is your is your partner also a marine biology researcher? <laughs> no, she's not. No, she's a public health researcher. <laughs> oh wow, that's even more relevant to what's happening kind of around the world right now. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, hey, JT, I've got a, I've got a. Sorry, while I remember it, I've got a marine. Yeah. Biology. Okay. What do you oh. call? What do you call a young shark? Baby shark. That song comes up. <laughs> a pup. A ah, a pup like puppies. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Did you oh. find out about the stomachs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's false. So I, I felt a lot of pressure to get a, a correct fact there. <laughs> a baby shark is called a pup, like a like a baby dog. Yep. Oh, interesting. Interesting. They're not cute puppies. Right. Yeah. Potentially dangerous. They ran out of ways of calling a baby shark. Now we're dwelling on this. <laughs> but <laughs> bringing it back into the conversation, and I guess through your experience of Food Bank and, of course, now at, um, particularly with Western Chances, what are some of the challenges unique to the West that you think young people are, I guess, facing? There's, there's probably a couple that stand out 
quite strikingly, I think. Certainly, we see themes running through our applications that we receive for scholarships. And the first is mental health. I think as a society at the moment, we're all struggling with our mental health and and we understand some of the reasons for that. But the impact on young people is huge. I don't think that can be understated. The disruption, particularly for, you know, students at school, um, the disruption they've sort of had over the last 12 months is incredible. And particularly for students who might be, you know, um, home setting that is difficult, um, that's only amplifying those challenges. And then, you know, even for, for tertiary students, you know, they still studying offline at home in their room. And I think about like the time of your life, you know, that time in your life where, you know, you it's all about your friends and your social cohort and, you know, kind of learning about life. To be stuck in your in your bedroom um, studying all the time is horrible. And I think I think that it's creating significant challenges and one that we are not only getting told by our students but the schools that we work with it's the first thing that they they tell us about um, because their resources are stretched beyond capacity to be able to respond um, so I think you know in terms of what we need to do is well we need to understand how we can kind of provide pathways for students to access support you know we're not a mental health organization we don't have internal expertise but we do have a connection with schools and students so we're sort of looking now at well how can we kind of you know facilitate a pathway where a student if recipients of ours do have challenges they can go and get the support that they need and, and one avenue is through schools although as I mentioned they're they're very busy and another avenue is potentially through partnerships which is what what we do so we're starting to look in that at the moment uh, and then the second, which is, is kind of interlinked, I think, is, is employment, job opportunities. And this is huge for young people, both in terms of part-time work while they study and, and having that opportunity to earn. But, you know, youth unemployment is still very high in the West post-study, so post-tertiary study or um, once uh, students are out of TAFE. And entering the job market is incredibly tough. And I think, you know, when you sort of put those two together, it just means that I guess young people are having a really hard time and it's not from a lack of uh, motivation or talent, or, um, but probably a lack of opportunity at the moment. There's nowhere more, where that's more relevant than the West. I mean, the West was, I think you might have mentioned it, Michael, the epicentre of COVID in Australia last year. I mean, you know, you hope Sydney is okay at the moment, but in last year that you know, wave two outbreak happened in Western Melbourne and some of the LGAs, it's significantly affected families and that has, has affected um, young people. You mentioned sort of three very big systems. One, obviously, is the mental health system. The second one has its intersections with the education system. And the last one was the employment system. These three systems are, are huge and they're complex, but then they also intersect with each other. I guess, how does Western Chance respond to, to all of this put together? It's a, it's a lot for one organization to try and take on. Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, you can't do everything, can you? You have to focus on how you contribute to that system. So... You know, in terms of our role, I think we connect very well with the education system and we uh, are, you know, actively putting supports around students to assist them progress through their education, um, both financial and other pathways. Um, in terms of the mental health, that that is a, a huge challenge and one that we are not, you know, we don't have the capacity to respond to. So, again, our, our response will, will be sort of, you know, seeking partnerships where we can refer students through to the organisations that are fit for purpose to respond to their needs. And the employability piece is, is one that we're starting to think about because, you know, we, we feel by assisting students make the most of their education, 
we increase their employability and <clears throat> hopefully their competitiveness in the in the job market. So it's a very downstream sort of thinking um, at the moment, but one that we're starting to try and to connect the dots a little bit with some employers, particularly here in the West, who we're partners with. So a great example would be I had a scholarship recipient who was an engineering student and we connected that student with one of our partners who was a big engineering firm. She got an internship there. They ended up employing her based on that internship And she's now um, working on the new Footscray Hospital build, which ironically is going to house Western Chances when it's built. So, you know, this great full circle moment of a student who we supported is now, you know, assisting build our new office space, which will be fantastic. And it just shows you that if you can kind of, you know, build that cycle where recipients are kind of getting the skills that they need, they're going on to something else and then they can start to give back is ultimately our goal. That's really exciting. Looks like Western Chances is going to get a bigger office. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've just talked about some of the the challenges that have come up during COVID, mental health, employment, education. What have been some of the opportunities that have come out of COVID as well for Western Chances or what you've seen in the education system? Well, I, I think the widespread upheaval of our expectations on how you, you collaborate and how you um, attend things and how you, you participate have changed and I know we've always had teleconferencing for a long period of time uh, and we've had, you know, sort of virtual integration, but no one's really used it. No one's really taken it up. It's been sporadic, whereas we've been forced to this last year. And I think that does create genuine opportunity. I know in part we all have a bit of Zoom fatigue, but there are genuine opportunities where the tyranny of distance or just inconvenience means that people don't attend things and that changes with Zoom. So we might have opportunities for students to attend you know, tuition masterclasses that if a student lived in Melton and the masterclass was in Richmond after school, it's just not going to happen from a, a practicality point of view. But that stu- student can now attend that class um, that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So I think there are, you know, some benefits like that that are more practical. But I think in terms of broader expectations and, and opportunities, I think what COVID has done is it's made people realise that there's a lot of challenges out there and probably highlighted some of those challenges to broad the broader community um, where, you know, they might not have been aware. And I think that that kind of almost passive advocacy has helped people understand the need for charities like Western Chances to assist the community and potentially, you know, open up opportunities for, for funding and to raise awareness, not just for us but for other organisations. So I think... I think that is one thing that you know might be a positive. That's also one of the trends that we've seen at Wildlab as well, is that before COVID, or I like to say BC, before COVID, I thought that was a pretty funny <laughs> we would always have to go to the hard sell about why the work that we do is really, really important. And then when COVID hit, the narrative shifted a lot where obviously young people were the first impacted, the most impacted, and, and now we see probably the, 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 the longest impacted and the least likely to recover, if at all. During this time, we were able to approach governments and they just kind of knew what we're trying to do and they understood the value that we're bringing and they understood the impact of young people and why having organization that works really closely with individual young people is really, really important. You also saw as well, I think that's what you're kind of alluding to with some of the opportunities. Yeah, and I think think just expanding on that, it's interesting that this whole idea of a kind of place-based community or settings um, I think are becoming relevant again because... You know, in lock, periods of lockdown or even just limited movement, everyone gets to know their local community. I know everyone on the street here now, pretty much on our street, where previous to COVID I didn't. We seem to know a lot more people 
in local businesses and just around the area. And I think that's true of a lot of people. And I think where you get all those connections happening, particularly in somewhere like the West where I, I really do believe there's a real sense of community spirit anyway, my hope is that that can actually really translate into some fantastic things, you know, collaborations between organisations, people getting on board, you know, to support their local community. I think, you know, my hope is that that's the good part that comes out of it. The need for local community has been more important than ever or COVID has highlighted that it's more important than ever. And when people talk about the lost connections that they feel to obviously those who are living further away, whether that's family or friends, I sometimes think maybe that connection has just been displaced into local community. So you're looking more locally rather than globally. I don't know. This is just a theory I have. So just like your marine biology factors, this will need to be fact-checked later on. But going back to something... To, to Zach yourself, a little, getting a little bit more personal, the work you do, it's highly inspiring and highly inspirational and you have such a large impact on a lot of young people. Who were some of your early mentors or people who inspired you? Yeah, geez, take me back. I'm pretty old, Michael. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I always, when I think of school, you know, I went to a, um, a school here in Melbourne and you, I'm sure everyone's the same. You have those teachers that you remember. You just, you just, they, you know, you, you think of their names and you kind of go, God, they were amazing. So one of the teachers I had, Mr. Kingsman, he was, he was unreal. I still remember he was my English teacher. You know, English was probably not one of my favourite subjects, although it started to be once he, he taught me. And it was just one of those times where you just, you just felt like someone got you and understood you and just understood what you needed. And that seemed effortless. And I'm sure that many people have teachers like that. And I think that's the power of, you know, a teacher is that when they connect one-on-one like that with a student, they just make people think that you can do anything if you work hard or if you take things seriously, that you have that potential to kind of undertake what you want. So that's one that's, you know, sort of stands out to me uh, back from school for sure. How about any early like experiences that kind of shaped what you're doing now? In terms of like things that occurred at school or just more generally or Yeah, like I mean, when I look at Julia, she's obviously got the lived experience of someone who's grown up in the West who has kind of fought to get the education and now obviously the business a very successful business that she runs. And that early lived experience has shaped many of the things that she she does. Um, and I always find that as a you know a really great source of inspiration that she's mm. overcome so many barriers and challenges. I guess, was anything like that early in life for you where you've experienced either adversity or hardship, overcome, and it's really shaped your work today? Yeah, in terms of adversity and hardship, I, I probably pretty good up, upbringing in terms of I didn't face some challenges that others do. But one thing that always struck me, actually, it's interesting, you're just sort of jogging my memory, but my mum, my mum's actually passed away now, but my mum never undertook further study. So she dropped out of school I think mid high school, and she used to always lament that. She used to always talk about, you know, I think she did work as a casual bookkeeper, you know, through my youth, and she used to always sort of say, I wish I'd just done something. Uh, it didn't really matter what it was. I think she was just sort of a little bit underwhelmed with just what her her day-to-day was, I guess, and that that just always sort of struck me that, you know, she perhaps didn't have that opportunity and, and, and you know, earlier in life it didn't phase her as she was, you know, young and off um, having adventures, but sort of a little bit later on in her in her 40s and 50s, she really kind of looked back and thought maybe what could have been or what she could have done. And, um, and that was something that sat with me, I think. And then, you know, it, it really placed an emphasis on the importance of education or, or at least having some idea of kind of, 
you know, where you want to go and, and perhaps, you know, starting to think about, well, what are the things I need to do to get there? Because you get 20 or 30 years down the track and you don't have that opportunity anymore. One last question that I wanted to ask, and this is going a bit back towards your answer around dealing with burnout. And you mentioned the ability to show yourself kindness. I guess in what ways do you show yourself kindness? I think we can all sort of beat beat ourselves up if you make a mistake. Everything is under strain, I feel, at the moment. I feel like, you know, your natural level of, I guess, mental uh, health that I feel at the moment through this pandemic is diminished and your level of resilience is diminished. At least it's been that way for me and I think many people I've spoken to. And so I think, you know, just to be kind on yourself in, in the way that, you know, you might not always get it right and that's okay but you learn from those mistakes and you try and um, you try and improve for the next time so that you don't do that again so I think you know I think that's part of what I feel is you, you can't always beat yourself up about um, about things you've got to learn from it and move on and try and be better next time are, are there any habits you do like is is meditation part of it is exercise as well oh uh, definitely exercise for sure um, so not recently um, just had a bit on but usually I'm, I'm pretty good with the exercise and I find that you know from a mental health point of view is fantastic it gives you one a bit of space where you're by yourself and you I don't know about you guys but I do a lot of thinking when I exercise um, so you, those problems that you are struggling with or you, you have a, a challenge that you can't quite work out you know you go for a ride or you go for a run and suddenly you've you've kind of got a few ways to deal with it that's definitely Michael's method, but I'm probably more of a shower kind of girl. I do my thinking in the shower. <laughs> Minimal movement, but also a very calming space. <laughs> but thank you so much, Zach. That was really insightful. And it was great to hear you share, you know, you're obviously your mentor around your teachers. Um, I'm definitely one of them. I remember quite a few of my teachers and I still keep in contact with them as well because I feel like they've definitely shaped my journey and I really liked how you summed up about Western chances and um, why it's so important it's really you know in the West we have a lot of young people with a lot of talent we're not lacking talent but we're really lacking opportunities Uh, and that was certainly true for me over 10 years ago Um, and just hearing about you talk about some of the key things that you know young people are, are I guess facing now, such as mental health, is really evident as to why we need to have an organisation like Western Chances around. So I know that you and I, obviously, we also spoke this week because of the current COVID situation. We have to move our fantastic event planned by us, the Good Business Forum, to later in the year, now on the 26th of November. Can you maybe tell our audience what this event is about and if they're interested, why they should be buying a ticket to it. Oh, great segue, JT. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, Doing my ambassador job. She convinced me to buy a table there. <laughs> Look, um, the Good Business Forum is all about just, I guess, showcasing, you know, when business does good, you know, it's good for business. So we get nearly 400 leaders from community, business and government across the West together for a a great lunch. Um, And that's really to raise awareness and funds for Western Chances. So on the day, it's a great chance to network, understand all the different things that are happening across the West because, you know, there is a lot happening across the West. It's an exciting time. And then it's a great chance to network, understand who all our stakeholders are and get to know Western Chances um, one of our lovely recipients will be sharing their story on the day. We have a guest speaker, Michael Rowland, the host of ABC News Breakfast, um, will come along, who is a mad 
Western Bulldogs supporter, unfortunately. I'm, I'm not a Western Bulldogs supporter. It'll be just a great way to get to know Western chances and understand the work that we do and the impact that it has. And then if you, you know, if you like the work that we do, um, you can become more involved. And I have to say, um, being involved in Western Chances is fun. It's really fun. You get to meet fantastic people and, you know, work together and, and, and achieve great things. So hopefully it's a fantastic day and it'll be great to meet everyone in person. Um, it will not be on Zoom. We'll be all together having a great time. Yes, absolutely. Zach, you've missed the hero talent. Um, that is me because I will be the MC. So, yeah, exactly what you've mentioned, Zach. Our company has had the pleasure of producing the event for, uh, I think, at least seven or eight years now. And every year, the Good Business Forum really brings together an incredible widespread of stakeholders in the one room, keen to do good business for our community. And it is an incredible feeling to be in the same room um, with, you know, both the corporates, the not-for-profits, the community, the leaders, hearing great stories from our young people, um, learning more about Western Chances and really um, putting their hand up to say yes I want to I want to help and I want to help the future of our young people so for sure if anyone is interested because our tables will sell out as it always has every year to make sure um, to check out the Western Chances website um, and purchase a ticket to come along for our new event date on the 26th of November. Where can they purchase said tickets? Just hop onto our website um, and the event will be listed there it's on the 26th of November and um, you can book tickets online. So just jump on www.westernchances.org.au. Zach, you need to say that with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you. I'm you. I'm you. It is .org. <laughs> we have confirmed it. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time tonight, Zach. Really appreciate you joining us on Collective West and hearing your personal journey as well as your current journey with Western Chances as well. It's been so insightful um, and I'm sure that everyone who listens will learn heaps from you too. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. It's been a great chat. So thanks for having me. And to end on a fact, sponges are older than dinosaurs. Nice. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Victorian Government. The Collective West podcast is a proud recipient of the Department of Fairness, Family and Housing Cold Youth Content Campaign. As part of this series, we'll be interviewing 10 thought leaders from across Melbourne's West, ranging from education, employment and government. Stay tuned for future episodes. Julia and I are really excited about the range of interviewees that we've got coming up over the next 10 weeks. So stay tuned and stay safe.